Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irving Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in the wilds of Connecticut, this is Obscure Season 2, Frankenstein. I am your host, your friend, your ear lover, literary mansplainer-in-chief, and Georgianologist, Michael Ian Black, excited as always to continue our tale. This is, as I record, the final week of the Trump administration, the new administration, all set to come together and uh, become inaugurated. So, this volume of history is closing, or at the very least, pausing, because I do not think any of us know where this journey is taking us. That is the thing with history unfolding. We know not where we are heading. Uh, and similarly, we know not where we are heading here with Frankenstein. Maybe some of you have read it before and you have some sense. I do not. I do not know what fate befalls poor Justine Moritz as she waits for the magistrates to pronounce her fate. Elizabeth, cousin Elizabeth, more than cousin Elizabeth, has stood up to speak in her defense as she has tried for the murder of poor William. Uh, Elizabeth maintains that Justine is innocent. Of course, uh, Victor Frankenstein also says that Justine is innocent. Neither of them have really any proof one way or the other, other than the testimony of her character, which seems high. Will that be enough for the court to acquit? We do not know. Elizabeth has just finished speechifying there in the court. She's just said that she esteems and values Justine, and uh, her speech is concluded. She was the only one to stand up and speak on behalf of Justine. All of Justine's other friends have abandoned her. Even Victor Frankenstein is unable to rise in her defense because were he to tell his own tale, it would not be believed, and he would only negate any help that he was offering to provide, any sucker that he was willing to give. So we continue. A murmur of approbation followed Elizabeth's simple and powerful appeal, but it was excited by her generous interference and not in favor 
of poor Justine, on whom the public indignation was turned with renewed violence, charging her with the blackest ingratitude. Jeez. I mean, Elizabeth stood up. She gave a really sweet speech, you know. She said, uh, I know her. I know I'm well acquainted with her. I've lived with her. Uh, you know, she tended to my aunt. And then at the end, she, you know, and then she finishes. And, you know, the reaction was like, uh, burn the witch. Not Elizabeth, but Justine. You know, maybe they felt like, oh, Elizabeth's such a sweet character. And she was taken in by this con artist. And now we're even more dead set against Justine Morris than we were only moments ago. So, you know, that backfired. She herself wept as Elizabeth spoke, but she did not answer. My own agitation and anguish was extreme during the whole trial. I believed in her innocence. I knew it. Could the daemon who had, and then parenthetically he says, I did not for a minute doubt, murdered my brother, also in his hellish sport, have betrayed the innocent to death and ignominy. Oh, ignominy. Ignominy. Well, that's interesting. And I feel like we always say ignominy. Now I'm going to look up the difference. I got to try. I got to crank up the old research machine here and look up ignominy, right? Public shame or disgrace versus ignominy, which is public shame. Uh, oh wait, ignominy. No, apparently ignominy. Okay, I was going to say is not a word. But it is. It is an alternative form of ignominy. 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 All right. Lost my spot, of course, because I got distracted, because I am a fool. I could not sustain the horror of my situation. And when I perceived that the popular voice and the countenances of the judges had already condemned my unhappy victim, I rushed out of the court in agony. The tortures of the accused did not equal mine. What? Yeah, they kind of did, bro. They kind of do. You know, when the chick who is sitting there, knowing that she's about to be hung by the neck until dead, I feel like her tortures actually do exceed yours, right? Because she's about to be killed and you are not. So I feel like in that instance... When you're about to have a noose tied around your neck and you are to be swung for the gallows for a crime you did not commit, I feel like that sucks harder than feeling kind of bad. I just, you know, I look, I've never been in that situation, so I don't know. Like the worst thing that's ever, I guess the closest I've ever come is when I was indicted for murder, right? You know, the charges got thrown out thanks to a technicality, but, you know, so I've never been in that situation. The tortures of the accused did not equal mine. She was sustained by innocence, but the fangs of remorse tore my bosom and would not forego their hold. Well, I guess, I mean, I guess having fangs in your chest that will not forego their hold does sound pretty bad, but not when they're metaphorical. You know, not when they're just a kind of phantom psychological problem that you're having, as opposed to the very real rope that's going to be strung across poor Justine Moritz's neck and then tightened until she is dropped from the gallows and her neck is broken. 
I just feel like you kind of you're kind of being be, being the victim here, Victor Frankenstein. Look, I know you feel bad. Like you know, I feel bad about stuff too. But you get over it. You know, yeah, yeah. Your Damon killed poor William. Okay, let's grant you that. But you didn't know that was like you'll get over it. It's fine. You know what I mean? A couple weeks from now, when everything's kind of settled down, Justine is in the grave. You know, you'll be like, you know, what was that? You'll be like, what was I complaining? You know, what was I complaining about so much for? Like, it's fine. The world keeps spinning. I passed a night of unmingled wretchedness. In the morning, I went to the court. My lips and throat were parched. I dared not ask the fatal question, but I was known, and the officer guessed the cause of my visit. The ballots had been thrown. They were all black, and Justine was condemned. I cannot pretend to describe what I then felt. I had before experienced sensations of horror, and I have endeavored to bestow upon them adequate expressions, but words cannot convey an idea of the heart-sickening despair that I then endured. The person to whom I addressed myself added that Justine had already confessed her guilt. That evidence, he observed, was hardly required in so glaring a case, but I am glad of it. And indeed, none of our judges like to condemn a criminal upon circumstantial evidence, be it ever so decisive. This was strange and unexpected intelligence. What could it mean? Had my eyes deceived me? And was I really as mad as the whole world would believe me to be if I disclosed the object of my suspicions? I hastened to return home, and Elizabeth eagerly demanded the result. My cousin, replied I, it is decided as you may have expected. All judges had rather that ten innocent should suffer than that one guilty should escape. But she has confessed. This was a dire blow to poor Elizabeth, who had relied with firmness upon Justine's innocence. Alas, said she, how shall I ever again believe in human goodness? Justine, whom I loved and esteemed as my sister, how could she put on those smiles of innocence only to betray? Her mild eyes seemed incapable of any severity or guile, and yet she has committed a murder. Soon after we heard that the poor victim had expressed a, a desire to see my cousin. My father wished her not to go, but said that he left it to her own judgment and feelings to decide. Yes, said Elizabeth, I will go, although she is guilty, and you, Victor, shall accompany me. I cannot go alone. The idea of this visit was torture to me yet I could not refuse. We entered the gloomy prison chamber and beheld Justine sitting on some straw at the farther end. Her hands were manacled and her head rested on her knees. She rose on seeing us enter and when we were left alone with her, she threw herself at the feet of Elizabeth, weeping bitterly. My cousin wept also. Oh, Justine, said she, why did you rob me of my last consolation? I relied on your innocence, and although I was then very wretched, I was not so miserable as I am now. 
And do you also believe that I am so very, very wicked? Do you also join with my enemies to crush me, to condemn me as a murderer? Her voice was suffocated with sobs. So now she's saying she didn't do it? You know, pick a lane, guys. Pick a lane. Either she confessed or she didn't, or it's a false confession. But why would she do that? Why not just, you know, be hung by the neck, insisting on your innocence until you can no longer breathe? Like, why would you, why would you confess? You know? I wouldn't. But, you know, I'm a known liar. So for me, it wouldn't be any great shakes to continue to, you know, everybody would expect that from me. But poor Justine Moritz. Poor, poor Justine Moritz who is incapable of severity or guile, as Elizabeth herself has just said. But, you know, this is the thing. This has been the topic of conversation for weeks now here, as this volume ends. The topic being, of course, the big lie. How we obscure the truth. <laughs> through our own mendacity. How we wish to believe the truth of something even when our heart of hearts knows it to be false, or we believe the lies, might be a better way to put it, because they give us, as I said before, sucker. They give us comfort. They give us uh, a, a, a reflection of the world we wish to see. The lie can feel more true than the truth, because to believe the truth would be to upset something fundamental that you, that you wish to be so. So, in the case of Justine Moritz, we don't know if she's lying uh, now, we don't know if she was lying then, like, we don't know what her deal is. But Elizabeth's fundamental belief is that humanity still has a shred of goodness in it, and she needs Justine to be innocent for that fraying hope to hold. While I think Victor Frankenstein has... You know, I don't know. I don't know where he what where he falls on the issue of human goodness. You know, if he did believe in it, perhaps he has robbed himself of that belief in creating the daemon. How do you like them apples? But if you recall, he had he himself has said that the big buddy is not in fact human. He has separated the human species from the creation. And so it is possible that he is able to maintain the belief in human goodness because his own creation, which he did not create malignantly, he wasn't trying to destroy anything. In fact, he, he thought he was doing good. It is possible that he retains a belief in his own goodness, even though he has killed his own brother, poor William, through his creation. It's complicated. Guys, it's complicated. You know, that's going to be our status update on our relationship with human goodness right now. It's complicated. All right, let's get back. Rise, my poor girl, said Elizabeth. Why do you kneel if you are innocent? I am not one of your enemies. I believed you guiltless, notwithstanding every evidence until I heard that you had yourself declared your guilt. That report, you say, is false. And be assured, dear Justine, that nothing can shake my confidence in you for a moment but your own confession. And then Justine says, I did confess. 
but I confessed a lie. I confessed that I might obtain absolution. But now that falsehood lies heavier at my heart than all my other sins. The God of heaven forgive me. Ever since I was condemned, my confessor has besieged me. He threatened and menaced until I almost began to think that I was the monster that he said I was. He threatened excommunication and hellfire in my last moments if I continued to obdurate, or if I continued obdurate. Dear lady, I had none to support me. All looked on me as a wretch doomed to ign ignominy, ignominy and perdition. What could I do? In an evil hour, I subscribed to a lie, and now only am I truly miserable. So, yeah, you know, I can I can believe that. She thinks, geez, I got to confess to this thing, or else, you know, they're going to cast me out of the church. I'm going to go straight to hell. Like, what do I have left? I like, I, you know, I'm about to die. I need to get my ticket punched to heaven, or I guess purgatory. You know, kind of best case scenario right now, purgatory. We believe Justine's innocence. Of course we do. But isn't that just what she wants? God damn it, Justine, isn't that exactly what you want? You manipulative little so-and-so. How are we to trust you now? Were you lying then or are you lying now? The big lie. It is pervasive, isn't it? It just gets into the blood and it just sits there and ruins everything. You just don't know who to trust. You've got the deep state there, the confessor saying, you better tell me you did it, because if you don't, you're going to be even worse trouble in the afterlife. We don't know. She paused, weeping, and then continued, I thought with horror, my sweet lady, that you should believe your Justine, whom your blessed aunt had so highly honored, and whom you loved, was a creature capable of a crime which none but the devil himself could have perpetrated. Dear William, dearest blessed child, I shall soon see you again in heaven where we shall all be happy. And that consoles me, going as I am to suffer ignominy and death. <sighs> I mean, who, you know, who are you going to believe? This is the problem. This is the big lie, you know? Who are you going to believe? We can trust nobody. We can trust nothing, least of all, human nature. Let's contemplate that for a moment. We'll take a little break and return here on Obscure. We're back. Um, things are terrible for Justine Moritz, but, you know, she has unburdened herself of the false confession, I guess. We are contemplating lies and liars, and we are looking at the, uh, the goodness of human nature or lack thereof. Justine has just given her little speech to Elizabeth, and then Elizabeth says, Oh, Justine, forgive me for having for one moment distrusted you. Why did you confess? But do not mourn, dear girl. Do not fear. 
I will proclaim, I will prove your innocence. I will melt the stony hearts of your enemies by my tears in prayers. You shall not die. You, my playfellow, my companion, my sister, perish on the scaffold. No, no, I never could survive so horrible a misfortune. Wow, way to make it about yourself, Elizabeth. You know, you're my playfellow, you're my companion. I could not survive so horrible a misfortune. Yeah, well, what about Justine, dummy? What about Justine? You know what, Elizabeth? You will survive that misfortune, okay? She's going to, just like Victor, these rich people making, making all the problems all about themselves. It's not about you right now, okay? It's about Justine and about getting her released from her bondage and free to, you know, resume her life. It's not about the fact that she's your playfellow. It's not about the fact that she's your quote-unquote sister. She's not your sister, okay? She's the hired help, and you know that. And all this talk of her elevation in the household is, yes, probably true. But at best, she was an esteemed employee, and you, her overlord, Elizabeth. Meanwhile, Victor's just sitting there like an idiot, you know? Hasn't told anybody what he knows. You know, hasn't, hasn't, hasn't breathed the word. His own cowardice, despite the fact that he will not be believed, his cowardice is his big lie, right? It is the big lie of omission, despite the fact that, you know, everybody's going to be like, Victor, what the hell are you talking about? You stole body parts and made an eight foot tall big buddy and you think that big buddy killed William? Like, what the hell are you talking about? Despite the fact that nobody's going to believe him, he still owes the world truth, does he not? If he still maintains a belief in human goodness, and we do not know whether or not he does, he owes it to somebody to speak up. But he's just sitting there, you know, going blah, 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 you know, just being complicit in Justine's death. Justine shook her head mournfully. I do not fear to die, she said. That pang is past. God raises my weakness and gives me courage to endure the worst. I leave a sad and bitter world. And if you remember me and think of me as of one unjustly condemned, I am resigned to the fate awaiting me. Learn from me, dear lady, to submit in patience to the will of heaven. During this conversation, I had retired to the corner of the prison room where I could conceal the horrid anguish that possessed me. Despair. Who dared talk of that? The poor victim, who on the morrow was to pass the awful boundary between life and death, felt not, as I did, such deep and bitter agony. I gnashed my teeth and ground them together, uttering a groan that came from my inmost soul. Justine started. When she saw who it was, she approached me and said, Dear sir, you are very kind to visit me. You, I hope, do not believe that I am guilty. So wait, she didn't know Frankenstein was there? What the hell? I mean, how big is this jail cell that he could like literally hide in the shadows and she wouldn't know he was there? She just had a full conversation with Elizabeth. When they came into the cell... I understand her head was on her knees, she was manacled, but presumably she would have looked up to see who it was, right? Like we think, uh, yeah, you know, when somebody comes into your cell, you're like, oh yeah, let me check out who that is. She didn't see Frankenstein there? Come on, Mary. Come on, Mary. What are you doing? We know she saw Victor. Why is she acting surprised now? Why do you do this, Mary? 
So she says, you don't, you don't think I'm guilty, do you? And back to the book, I could not answer. No, Justine, said Elizabeth, he is more convinced of your innocence than I was. For even when he heard that you had confessed, he did not credit it. I truly thank him. In these last moments, I feel the sincerest gratitude toward those who think of me with kindness. How sweet is the affection of others to such a wretch as I am. It removes more than half of my misfortune, and I feel as if I could die in peace now that my innocence is acknowledged by you, dear lady, and your cousin. Thus, the poor sufferer tried to comfort others and herself. She indeed gained the resignation she desired, but I, the true murderer, felt the never-dying worm alive in my bosom, which allowed of no hope or consolation. So wait, I, the true murderer, felt the never-dying worm, I like that, alive in my bosom. What is the worm? The worm of guilt, I guess, that's just going to eat him alive. It's just going to gnaw at his innards the way Prometheus himself was punished, right? What didn't, didn't he have some sort of bird pecking, eating at his heart when he was chained to a stone and every day the bird would come and like, you know, eat out his heart. So the modern Prometheus indeed is receiving the first inklings of that punishment, not a bird, but the worm of responsibility, the worm of guilt eating at him over and over again, never dying. And he himself never dying. So, you know, a couple pages ago, he said, you know, my torture is worse than hers. Well, still no, because she's about to be killed and you just feel bad. But, okay, we understand, I think we have a fuller picture of what maybe he is experiencing and describing. Elizabeth also wept and was unhappy, but hers also was the misery of innocence which like a cloud that passes over the fair moon for a while hides but cannot tarnish its brightness. Anguish and despair had penetrated into the core of my heart. I bore a hell within me which nothing could extinguish. We stayed several hours with Justine, and it was with great difficulty that Elizabeth could tear herself away. I wish, cried she, that I were to die with you. I cannot live in this world of misery. Calm down, Susan. Susan, calm yourself. You do not wish to die with Justine. Like, I know you feel bad, but yeah, you know, let's be honest. You're not volunteering to get up on that scaffold next to her, okay? You're just not. So yeah, we get it, drama queen, but calm down. Justine assumed an air of cheerfulness while she, with difficulty, repressed her bitter tears. She embraced Elizabeth and said in a voice of half-suppressed emotion, Farewell, sweet lady, dearest Elizabeth, my beloved and only friend. May heaven in its bounty bless and preserve you. May this be the last misfortune that you will ever suffer. Live and be happy and make others so. And on the morrow, Justine died. Elizabeth's heart-rending eloquence failed to move the judges from their settled conviction in the criminality of the saintly sufferer. My passionate and indignant appeals were lost upon them. 
And when I received their cold answers and heard the harsh, unfeeling reasoning of these men, my proposed avowal died away on my lips. Thus I might proclaim myself a madman, but not revoke the sentence passed upon my wretched victim. She perished on the scaffold as a murderess. From the tortures of my own heart, I turned to contemplate the deep and voiceless grief of my Elizabeth. And remember, in the beginning, he says Elizabeth's going to die. You know, maybe, she, I mean, maybe it's another suicide thing, or maybe the big buddy kills her. Maybe big buddy comes for Elizabeth next, you know? Let's hope so. And let's hope that Victor Frankenstein is charged for the crime. You know, that would be just, that would be justice for Justine. Uh, uh, Justine, who has no justice. I, I don't know whether that is intentional on Shelley's part or not, but let's imagine it is. From the tortures of my own heart, I turned to contemplate the deep and voiceless grief of my Elizabeth. This also was my doing, and my father's woe, and the desolation of that late so smiling home, all was the work of my thrice accursed hands, I'm not sure why thrice, but okay. Ye weep, unhappy ones, but these are not your last tears. Again shall you raise the funeral wail, and the sound of your lamentations shall again and again be heard. Frankenstein, your son, your kinsman, your early, much-loved friend, he who would spend each vital drop of blood for your sakes, who has no thought nor sense of joy except as it is mirrored also in your dear countenances, who would fill the air with blessings and spend his life in serving you. He bids you weep, to shed countless tears, happy beyond his hopes, if thus inexorable fate be satisfied, and if the destruction pause before the peace of the grave has succeeded to your sad torments. Thus spoke my prophetic soul, as torn by remorse, horror, and despair, I beheld those I loved spend vain sorrow upon the graves of William and Justine, the first hapless victims to my unhallowed arts. End of volume one. Well, well, well. There's going to be more killing, more tears, more lamentations, more funerals, more guilt, more misery, more and more and more, and it will all fall in the lap of their own Dr. Jekyll, Victor Frankenstein, and he will be powerless to stop it. And for what? For his thrice accursed hands and the sorrows they have wrought. He who has molded sorrow from mud like Prometheus, he will be left to wander the earth in search of his own creation so that he may begin to make amends. And yet we know from when we first met him that the big buddy will escape on the ice and Frankenstein will be plucked from the sea, shivering and hollow. We know that he will fail in his quest because once unleashed upon the world, the daemon, cannot be put back into the tube of toothpaste from which it was squeezed. 
we have concluded volume one. As a volume of our own history closes, in the book, we know volume two will be full of horrors. We hope that in reality, this new volume will be filled with hopes. And as always, hope springs eternal here on Obscure. And the next time we speak, we will begin a new volume. But until then, I wish you adieu. Obscure Season 2 Frankenstein is produced by Robin Lynn, Jennifer Brennan, Mary Shimkin, and myself. It is generally recorded in the wilds of Connecticut with original music by Craig Wedgren. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to support it, please go to patreon.com slash Michael Ian Black. There you will find every single episode of Obscure Season 2 Frankenstein. These episodes are released weeks before they are released to the general public in a addition, you can also find writings, musings, erotica, and bonus episodes. Bonus episodes which sometimes involve Frankenstein and sometimes involve things entirely different, often with guest stars. It's patreon.com slash Michael Ian Black. Very reasonably priced too, I might add.